Well, good morning. Joining us online, just a reminder that we do have someone available to pray with you or answer any questions. But for those of you here, can you stand up and join us? Our first scripture reading today. to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exalt before him. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who Oh, my God. 
Spirit of the living God, Spirit of the living God, we only want to hear your voice hanging on every word. Spirit of the living God, Spirit of the living God, we want to know you more and more. Hanging on every
verse today is Psalm 63, 3 through 4. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. You are the word at the beginning. One with God.
Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for bringing us here. And really, you are a God of miracles. We call on you and you answer. You ask us to step in and you do. And I'm just amazed at that this morning, Lord. So please prepare our hearts as we get ready to listen to Pastor Matt. And pray, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to Springbrook. We are so glad that you are with us today. My name is Richard. I'm the lead pastor of Springbrook. And if you are a first-time guest with us this morning, uh, either in person or online, we are so glad that you are with us uh, today. You've got a connection card in your seat. If you're watching online, there's a place for you to uh, click that online connection card, or you can say hello in the chat. Our online uh, hosts are available to pray with you and answer any questions you might have, but we're so glad that you are with us today. If you're a regular attender of Springbrook, we're glad you're here as well. Uh, if you're in person, there's a box at the back. Uh, you can just drop those connection cards and that box on the way out. Hey, I wanted to let you know, today we have a uh, special congregational meeting, and so I sent an email out uh, last week to uh, everybody that's on our email distribution list. And so if you do not get our weekly email and you're interested in signing up for that, uh, springbrook.org slash weekly uh, will take you to a link. You can sign up for our weekly email. It's also on our app as well. Uh, but we have a congregational meeting uh, this afternoon at 1230 following the second service. And so if you want to come back for that, uh, that would be outstanding. If you can't make it, we'll have some updates on our website. Uh, but in that email, I also made sure that our members and our leaders knew to come to that meeting. So it's a congregational meeting that uh, our members and leaders want to make sure they're there. But if you are interested, uh, just hearing a little bit more about what's going to be happening uh, with our ministry as we move uh, into the back half of this year, we want to invite you to come uh, join us for that meeting. It's going to be at 1230. It's going to be right here in the sanctuary. So we hope you can uh, join us. And then last week, I wanted to let you know, we talked about grief share. Um, we had to shut our grief share ministry down. We were praying for leadership. And uh, this past week, I met with Vicki Smith. And so Vicki has agreed to step into a leadership role for grief share. So I want to thank her for her leadership. <laughs> Funny story, uh, right after I met with her, we put our Grief Share group back up on the website. Five people signed up for Grief Share, and three of them were from our community that we've never met before. And so Grief Share is an important part of our ministry as we think about opportunities to connect with our community at a time when they're grieving, opportunities to share the love of Christ and the love and the hope of, uh, that we have because of our relationship with Him. And so Grief Share is an important part of our ministry, and it's a co-ed ministry, and so uh, I'm, we're still praying for a, a man that would be willing to help us with the, with the guys that have signed up. We have two guys uh, that have signed up or have expressed an interest in Grief Share, and their first question was, is, well, there are any other guys in the group? And so it's a co-ed ministry. And so, guys, if, you, uh, if you've lost someone in the past and you want to come alongside some other men that are working through grief, um, we are praying for a male leader for our Grief Share ministry. And so if you're interested, please, uh, please let us know. You can go to our website, Grief Share, uh, down at the bottom. Uh, you can give me your contact information, and we'll help you to be a part of this new group that's going to be kicking off um, soon. And then I also wanted to let you know we have our Alpha ministry uh, is going to be kicking off coming up on March 15th. Right now we have six people signed up for Alpha. This is a great opportunity for people to come together to uh, just to talk about God. What does it mean to have a relationship with Christ? Maybe some of the basics of the Christian faith. And so we have several families that we've connected with from outside of our church family that we're connecting with in our community. We have some people that are new to Springbrook uh, that are just kind of engaging and want to know a little bit more about what this looks like. And so you can be praying for that uh, as well. And more importantly, if you are having spiritual conversations with friends or family or you know somebody at work or somebody that, is, that you're having spiritual conversations with uh, and you think this would be a great resource, please invite them. 
Uh, this is going to be an opportunity for them just to be able to connect with some other people. We're going to share a meal. We're going to have a sh- short talk, and then we're just going to go into some discussion about some of the basics of the Christian faith. And so we want to help you to be able to engage on the relationships of the people around you, uh, and we can involve you in that process as well. So if you want to know more information about Alpha, uh, please go to the website and check that out. And then lastly, I wanted to let you know we're kicking off our next starting point workshop on uh, March 9th. It is on a Thursday now instead of Wednesday. We're running Alpha on Wednesday. And so uh, Thursday, we're going to be hosting our next uh, starting point workshop. Uh, It's on Zoom. It's a two-week workshop. And if you want to know more about uh, our ministry at Springbrook, how you can get connected, um, just hear a little bit more about our vision, our mission, our values, um, I'd love to invite you to join me for our starting point. And so if you have any questions about our ministry, please let us know. We're glad that you're here with us this morning. Pastor Matt's going to be out uh, in just a moment. We hope you have a great day today. Well, good morning. Every- Hello, Marty. Hello, everybody. Um, Marty waved at me. None of the rest of you did. So none of you get a... Oh, hi, Chris. So no one else in case I don't know your name. So... Skipper. Skipper. Oh, hello, Skipper. So hello. I like your hair. So thank you. All right. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Matt. Um, We're in our series. Uh, We're going to keep moving through Proverbs today. We're talking about walking in wisdom, Um, and I am excited for this morning. We're going to talk about one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and we're also going to talk about how it gets misused, Um, and not misused in a a nefarious way, because some Bible verses get misused, and you go, ugh, that's not what that means. Um, But we have a very incomplete picture of this verse. Um, And I, for a long time in my life, had this incomplete picture. Um, And as I've studied it, um, I've become more and more clear about, wow, I just originally had such a wrong view of this picture. Um, When I first started working in a church when I was 20, um, I worked as a video guy. Um, This was like right when YouTube came out, and my job was to make silly YouTube videos. Um, for the church and uh, random content, but also to tell about the ministries we were doing and run Sunday mornings. And um, one of the things that I thought is I thought that Sunday morning during church was the most important part of the church's life. And then I started working with the youth group, and I thought that the like 6.30 to 8 o'clock time slot was the most important part of the youth ministry, of the, like for if you were a teenager, that was the most important part of your life. And then I met a buddy named Jared, who is a Kansas City Chiefs fan, and I didn't tell him I was going to mention him today, and I feel bad, but he won't watch this, but he's a good buddy. Um, but, but Jared, one night um, after youth group, um, we were in my office, where I had like a whole video set up and a really messy table, And we had some kids come in that were wrestling with something about God. 
Um, and we wound up talking, me and Jared and these kids, for like an hour. And when we got done, Jared said, Matt, this is when ministry happens. And I remember being like, yeah, but ministry happens from 6.30 to 8 p.m. And Jared was like, no, Matt, this is when ministry happens. It happens in the moments outside the program when somebody says, so we talked about this, but this. Or you said this a few weeks ago, and I want to follow up. And I remember that moment vividly because it changed how I walked with the Lord in some pretty radical ways. Um, it, it changed a whole lot of things for me in ministry, and it was the beginning of me rethinking the verse, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. And that's where we're going to be today. If you've got a Bible, I would encourage you to open up to Proverbs 27. Um, we're not just going to be on this verse. We're going to be on some verses around it. Um, but iron sharpens iron is the quintessential discipleship verse in the Old Testament. We talk about when we get together for our small group, iron sharpens iron. When, when we come to church, that's iron sharpening iron. Um, and and it, it is, but it's like the minimal, in my opinion. And I, I hope I'm going to prove this well to you all. Um, and if I do a bad job, just don't be sharpened by this, okay? So you've got, you've got an out um, but before we jump in any further, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into this and hopefully go really deep. Father, we thank you for this day. Um, Father, as we talk today about wisdom, as we think about the principles in the, books of Prover- in the book of Proverbs, as we think about what it looks like to live righteously in a wicked world, we pray that we would have a right understanding of your word And we pray we would have friends in our life who speak to us in the margins to say, hey, I think you're missing something. I pray we would be those who are willing to wound each other in righteous ways because that is better than hidden love. I pray that we would be wise. I pray that this would not be something where people leave today um, as blunt objects slamming into each other, but that we would all be challenged to live life together in a more intentional way. I I pray you would bless this conversation. I I pray you would give me words to say. They would be your words and not mine and give us all ears to hear. Um, And I I pray that this would not be the only sharpening someone experiences this week. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, there's a few things we need to talk about because this verse is all over the place just like this, right? It gets shown all the time in Proverbs 2717, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another, gets, gets used. And if you have Instagram or Facebook or social media, there's probably, if you're a Christian and you, you scroll through, you probably see this verse show up over and over. There's ministry, it's called like sharpened iron and sharpened iron, iron sharpens and the iron and men of iron. And, and there's, there's hundreds of different things that use this imagery. And it's not just for men. This could be person, although in the Hebrew it is man, but that's a different conversation. But the the principle is about the way we shape each other. But Proverbs 27 is a part of a very unique section of Proverbs. And I know we've talked a lot the last few weeks about how the book of Proverbs, there's tons of Proverbs and you can look thematically. Some parts of Proverbs have structure, some parts don't. 
Um, I feel really confident in saying where we're at today in Proverbs 27 is a structured part of Proverbs. Um, And what that means is that from Proverbs 25 to Proverbs 29, people put these Proverbs together in order. And I'm going to come back to this slide in a moment, but first I want to give you my evidence. If you go to Proverbs 25.1, we see these also are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. And then in Proverbs 31, the words of Agar, son of Jekah, the oracle. I wanted to preach on this, and then I read it, um, and I decided not to and came back to Proverbs 25 through 29. But, but we see a beginning boundary, and we see a clear ending boundary. And inside of those is Proverbs 27. If, if, you, if you were here a couple years ago in the summer, I did a series on Proverbs 28 and 29 that I think I called sharpened iron, and you're going to be like, well, Matt, have you learned nothing? Um, Because why would you do that based on what you're going to say today? I think it still applies. Okay, everybody? But um, Proverbs 28 and 29 is about the characteristics that will lead to a righteous culture or a wicked culture. The the theme of that section, if you remember, or if you don't, you see over and over, when uh, when the wicked rise, the righteous flee. When the righteous rise, the wicked flee back and forth. And there's a whole theme here that that is saying if you're going to live rightly by the book of proverbs you should see the righteous rise if you're leading well it will not just be you but it will be in the culture you are involved in proverbs 25 begins with a picture of how to engage with authority righteously Um, and you may wonder why i say that well it starts off to the men of hezekiah assembled these proverbs of solomon and if you if you don't know who hezekiah is He's one of the best kings in the Bible. And how we know he's one of the best kings in the Bible, he was a king from the line of David. um, And of him, it says, he was like his father, David, even though he's like a great, 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 great grandson. But, But the fact that he is called like David in the book of Kings and Chronicles, that's a big deal. He's not called like Solomon, the wisest. He's called like David, the best. Um, And so... Um, we see that, and in Proverbs 25, there's a picture, and it's, we imagine this was written for his sons and nobles in order to build a righteous culture. The first thing is, how are they going to engage with a king? And how are they going to engage with authority over them in a wise and righteous way? And so Proverbs 25 builds a picture of that. Proverbs 26 starts to talk about how to exercise authority righteously, and a big part of Proverbs 26 is, Those who report to you, how do you respond if they're good, if they're fools, if they're liars, if they're wicked? How do you oversee people that are not necessarily righteous? Um, And so that's Proverbs 26. So above you, below you, and then Proverbs 27 is how to engage with those alongside you in order to pursue righteous living. This is how, who are your friends? Who are the people who are going to speak truth into your life? Is iron truly sharpening iron in your life? Um, so that's where we're going to be today. Um, and, and I have to tell you another thing, and I'm really excited about this. Um, one of my favorite things about Iron Sharpens Iron, it's Iron Sharpens Iron, and then it gets translated, and one man sharpens another. But in the Hebrew, another is added, or in, in the Hebrew, there's no another. It's literally, and one man sharpens the face of a friend. And, and this is going to pay off, I promise. But I always laugh when I read this because when it talks about sharpening the face, 
the imagery I get gets really funny because it's like two people that slam their faces into each other and it, shit, hmm, okay. But, but I think it's funny, but the, the language here, it's, it's obviously an idiom, it's a figure of speech, but this language is going to be very important. In a moment, I'm going to read Proverbs 27, and as I read it, I want to draw your attention to imagery about faces and imagery about friends. I'm actually going to read it right now. Um, so Proverbs 27, I'm going to read the whole passage for today, and then we'll focus right here. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Let another praise you, and not your own mouth, a stranger, and not your own lips. A stone is heavy, and, a wh- sand, and sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. One who is full loathes honey, but to one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. Like a bird that strays far from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend or your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near, and neighbor could be friend, better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Be wise, my son, and make my heart glad, that I may answer him who reproaches me. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Take a man's garment when he has put up security for a stranger, and hold it in pledge when he puts up security for an adulteress. Whoever blesses his neighbor or friend with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens the face of a friend. Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who guards his master will be honored. As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, and never satisfied are the eyes of man. The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and a man is tested by his praise. Crush a fool in a mortar with a pestle, along with crushed grain, yet his folly will not depart him. Know well the conditions of your flocks, And give attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever, and does a crown endure to all generations. When the grass is gone, and the new growth appears, and the vegetation of the mountains is gathered, the lambs will provide your clothing, and the goats the price of a field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food, and for the food of your household, and the maintenance or nourishment for your girls. So that's Proverbs 27. And there's a lot going on there, and some of you are probably like, how on earth are you connecting all of this? And I want to tell you what is happening in this proverb is that we are seeing the boundaries and the the good of friendship. When it talks at the start about, um, do not boast about tomorrow, well, who would you boast with? Your friends. Don't boast about tomorrow. You do not know what a day will bring. That's, That's not your job. Instead, let others praise you, not your own mouth. When it talks about Better is open rebuke than hidden love. The idea there is having friends who will say, hey, what you're doing there, that's not right. 
Um, open rebuke rather than hidden love, if you want an example. There's a story in the New Testament um, where, where Jesus tells the disciples, you know, I'm going to die, and three days later I'm going to rise again. This is right after Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus is like, the Holy Spirit showed you that, Peter. And it's like this cool moment, and Peter's like, all right, I'm in a good place right now. And then Jesus says, by the way, everyone, I'm going to die and resurrect three days later. And what does Peter do? He rebukes Jesus. That's not good, rebuke. But Jesus doesn't say back, you'll see, it's not hidden love. What does Jesus say? He says, get behind me, Satan. First, he says, the Holy Spirit revealed something. Then he says, get behind me, Satan. And that language there, he's doing an open rebuke to Peter. And if you read his interactions with the disciples, especially in the book of Mark, after Jesus reveals who he is, the disciples keep saying, Lord, I want to be on your left hand. Lord, I want to be on your right hand. Lord, who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus is open with them. He doesn't hide from them and say, we'll see. You'll know later. He responds and he challenges and he pushes back. He, he doesn't just say, oh, well, we'll talk. He doesn't say, oh, that's a good idea. He, he pushes into them and he speaks truth to them, even though they don't want to hear it. And we see that over and over. They were troubled by what he said. They were bothered by what he said. But Jesus does not pull his punches. He is a friend to the end. When he washes their feet, he calls them friends. When he washes their feet, if you remember, Peter says, don't wash my feet. And Jesus doesn't say, okay, Peter. Jesus says, no, I need to. And then Peter says, then wash all of me. And man, Peter's a great example of all of this. And then Jesus says, I don't need to wash all of you. I'm not going to do more than I need to do right now. Just let me do what I need to do. And he rebukes Peter. This is the same Peter that says to Jesus, I will follow you wherever. No matter what, Jesus, I'll die right next to you. And then Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. And, And he doesn't allow Peter to be something Peter is not. He speaks truth to him because Peter is his friend. We see that in John 13 to 17 where Jesus tells the disciples, you are my friends, and he speaks truth to them. He doesn't tell them things except what they need to hear because he does this in truth. In fact, Jesus is an incredible example of a good friend. Um, One of my favorite moments when I was in seminary... um, So there's a passage in Mark 3 where Jesus picks out his 12 disciples. And and this is what it says. He appointed 12, Jesus appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority. The language of they might be with him. In English, when I hear the word be, I think there's got to be more behind that word. I bet in Greek that's going to be a really cool word. Instead, when I got to seminary and started learning Greek and got to look that word up, what I found is it literally means be. It's like, it's not a dud word, but it's such a common word. And the language is, they're literally going to just spend time together. They're going to be together. And it's that simple. And, and I want to tell you, as simple as it is, the reason we're followers of Jesus today is because Jesus just spent time being with those 12 men, knowing one would betray him, which still hurts my brain, but spent time being with those 12 people who then, after they became believers, they were together and they were with others. And and we see in the early church, they met daily together and they were together. They were being together. And because of that ministry passed on generation after generation, we're in a church today because people were together 
engage together in godly relationship, learning what righteousness is, learning how to follow Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, but the starting point of that was Jesus was with people so that they would go be with other people. When we talk about iron sharpens iron, that is what we are talking about. Jesus took that time with them, not just to say, hang out with me, get your credentials, but he shaped them, he sharpened their faces. And that one with Jesus, let's be honest, um, I don't know that Jesus was sharpened by them, but in our relationships, part of iron sharpens iron is that we shape each other. The imagery here is not of one metal that's harder than another metal shaping it, but it's two metals that as they interact, they shape each other. If you know anything about the Mohs mineral hardness scale, you know that iron is a four, and iron is also a four, and you know when you rub together two things that are of equal abrasive or equal hardness, they're going to both wear down or both be shaped positively or negatively. You might be wondering where I'm going with this. Well, I want to tell you, two verses after iron sharpens iron comes as in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. And in the Hebrew, this is such a cool verse. Um, Man, Um, I love the book of Proverbs, but um, in Hebrew, the goal in Hebrew is to use as few words as possible to say something profound. And then you go to English, and you're like, we have so many different words that what on earth are we going to do with all of these? Um, This is in Hebrew. It's as in water face to face, so the heart of man to the man. But I'm leaving reflects there because that's what it means. Um, It's the idea that the face shows the face, the man shows the man, but it's what shows the man is the heart of a man is what shows you the man. And so we see this imagery of face, 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 Um, And and we see this kind of tie over. We sharpen each other, and when we sharpen each other, what are we sharpening? Well, Well, our heart reflects who we are. It reflects the shape of us. And so when we sharpen another, we're going to be shaping someone, hopefully, towards what our heart looks like, and they're going to be shaping us towards what their heart looks like. This word heart is going to come up in a little bit in a very important way. But But these two verses, there's clearly some symmetry here. There's clearly a design that crosses both of these. Um, And so then we also see man and man here. And you might say, well, this one also says man, but this one's a different word for man. But this word for man is important for us to notice in the Hebrew because we go one verse further. As in water, face reflects face. So the heart of man reflects the man. Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, and never satisfied are the eyes of man. Now, Sheol and Abaddon, of course, and all of you know this, are death and destruction. Um, I don't understand why it's translated Sheol and Abaddon, um, but those are the, the words. A Hebrew person would have heard these words and understood them to mean death and destruction or something along that lines. Depending on what Bible translation you have, it might do that. But death and destruction are never satisfied, and never satisfied are the eyes of man. So the heart of man reflects the man, and the eyes of man tell us that the man is never satisfied. And satisfied would be a good thing if we're satisfied in the Lord, in the garden. What happened in the garden? Adam and Eve, and it was Eve, but then Adam was standing next to her, not sharpening her face. Um, Adam and Eve were standing there, and the serpent said, you could be like God, and she saw, she desired, and she took. And, and we talk about, man, that fruit must have looked really good, but they were in a garden where every single fruit in that garden was pleasing to the eye and good to eat. But once 
the idea was implanted. Once the temptation was there, never satisfied were the eyes of man. And this word for man is really for human. And so, it, um, I, again, I, we don't need to talk about gender stuff in Proverbs. It is primarily written from a perspective for a male being trained up. And so, but it does apply to women. So I want to make sure I say that. But when we read this, the heart of man's going to reflect the man, and we immediately see a problem because just like death, everyone's going to die and destruction's going to happen. They'll never be satisfied. They'll never be at an end. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. And so we have a problem if we're not careful. We want to be sharpened and shaped the right way so that the heart of our heart reflects a good thing. And so when people look at us, they, they see someone righteous because that's the point of Proverbs is righteous living. And then in the middle, there's a verse missing still. Um, And it's this verse that I think gives us a pretty good idea of what we're trying to do. Um, Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who guards his master will be honored. Um, Eat its fruit and will be honored are interesting language, um, but they're, they're like a parallel. Like, if you're tending a fig tree, you'll get its fruit. You know, like, you'll, you'll get what you should. If you're serving your master well, you will be honored. What's more interesting is if you go back to the start of this, when it says whoever tends a fig tree, the language for tends here is the language, if we go back to Proverbs 2, which I, we talked about like the first couple weeks of this series, um, it talks about following after wisdom. We need to tend the word of God well, we need to guard the word of God well. These, these words have been used throughout Proverbs together to talk about faithfully following after the Lord. So iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens the face of a friend, with the goal of that sharpening being that we would tend, that we would guard, that we, we would do these things well, so that when someone looks at us, our heart reflects that we've done these things well. But on the surface, on our own, without any sharpening, without any shaping, our eyes will never be satisfied. Um, We talk about this with our students a lot, and it's worth saying anywhere and everywhere. Um, As Christians, one of the things that is just, we just have to hear it over and over, um, we aren't intuitively righteous. Growing up in the church and being at church does not mean you're righteous. We've been made righteous through the blood of Christ, but living in a righteous way takes work. It takes people sharpening us. It takes interacting with others. It takes people challenging us. It takes friends wounding us. Because it's better to have open rebuke than to have hidden love. And that hidden love is, is not really love in the Hebrew. The, the idea in this passage is we need to be sharpening each other so we go to this end Because on our own, we go to this end. Never satisfied are the eyes of man. And I want to tell you something. When I read this passage and I study it and think about the context, one of the hardest things to convey to a modern audience is how different of a world the men of Hezekiah were assembling these proverbs for. Um, Okay. If you don't know what an algorithm is, when you use any type of social media, when you use Netflix, when you get on Google, when you do anything that collects data about you, if you watch a show on Amazon Prime or other, Hulu, um, any of them, um, there's a thing called an algorithm 
that's going to start giving you suggestions of what to watch. When you go on a website, there's little advertisements all over the website that are probably based on things that you've looked at. If you go on Amazon and you look, you look like I, I was buying coffee beans this week, and then I, I got on Facebook for a minute, and Facebook was letting me know, Matt, if you want coffee beans, let's tell you about this unique roaster, blah, blah, blah. And there's all these different things all over the place. So, so those are algorithms. And algorithms are designed on the principle, they would not say this, but they're designed on the principle that never satisfied are the eyes of man. Facebook puts things in front of you, and then when you click on something, the algorithm says, okay, that got a click from them. So we're going to do more things like that. Um, a while back, it was revealed that Facebook found that when people are ticked off on their platform, they stay on longer. So what did Facebook do? They, all right, here's an opposing view that'll tick you off. Here's something that'll make you indignant. In the middle of COVID, we were finding out all these things about algorithms that made things worse and worse and worse in people's lives. But the principle is simple. Never satisfied are the eyes of man. And what was happening is these companies were tapping into never satisfied are the eyes of man. And I want to tell you something. Iron is not sharpening iron when an algorithm is what you're interacting with. If you haven't seen ChatGPT, which is the new, it writes things for you, it's like AI writing, um, it's terrifying. Um, I, I have a buddy who does video work who was talking to me about writing scripts for video work, and he was showing me. So I just, I told it, hey, I want you to write a script about my specific company doing a very specific thing. And he sent me the script it wrote, and I was like, oh, this will be good. And then I read it, and I was like, oh, that's good. And that's, that's, a, that's a computer that's never been at the event. Just based on the data that's been fed to it, it's just there. We, we live in a world that is designed more and more to make us engage on devices and engage on social media and engage in like video watching. Um, if I can say one good thing about Apple, it's that Apple has not figured out how to autoplay from one video to the next video on Apple TV, which I think is admirable, because for Jess and I, sometimes if we want to binge watch a show, we watch an episode, and then we go, we have to go all the way out to the menu and click on the next episode? Let's just go to bed. And I joke about this, but everything we're doing is designed to show us more and more things that are going to keep us using those things. Your teenagers and younger are using devices that everything about those devices are telling them and engaging with them in a way to say, if you stay on longer, it's for your benefit. You don't want to miss out. But if you play video games, if you don't log into your video game every day and do a thing every day, you miss out on things and you get rewards and they're stupid rewards and they don't do anything. But if you, if you don't log into the game, you won't get the reward. And if you don't get the reward, nothing will happen, but it'll sure feel good to get that reward. It's like the world we live in. And it's a world that we don't think about and we don't engage with, and it sharpens us. And we don't sharpen it at all. I promise you, when you binge watch a show on Netflix, Netflix isn't thinking, man, how are we shaped by this? They're thinking, we just made money, let's make more shows. And maybe I guess that is shaping, but you're not really a part of that shaping. We need to be aware of this because our entire world is designed to sharpen us, 
based on this principle. And we live in it. Um, you know, what's funny, I, I wanted to throw out a bunch of statistics here about how lonely people in the United States are. And a lot of the statistics I wanted to show were from a book I read a while back, and it was all true before COVID. We were like the loneliest nation, the loneliest time. There's, uh, there's a bunch of books about this, a bunch of articles, a bunch of resources about this. And all of them are things, all the ones that I feel comfortable talking about are things predating COVID. Predating COVID. That means COVID, which has amplified all of it, was not the problem. We want to blame it on that because that would make it simple. But we were one of the loneliest nations before COVID, one of the loneliest people. And it's not one generation, it's across the board. And we live in this loneliness with devices that tell us we'll satisfy you. But you'll be satisfied by clicking one more time and watching one more thing and doing one more thing. And never are we sharpening each other. The start of Proverbs 27 starts, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And it ends with, Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. And, and the idea here, um, the idea here as we talk about loneliness and as we talk about, that, about the place we are, um, the, uh, this is a whole different culture. In their culture, they, you, you didn't, you, you weren't lonely because you didn't, like, when you went potty, you didn't take a phone in the bathroom with you, okay? Some of you are like, I don't do that. I'm like, whatever, you do. Um, I, <laughs> okay, good, good. Some of you are very honest here. Thank you. But, but they lived in a culture where if you like went to the bathroom and came out 20 minutes later and said, sorry, I went down a rabbit trail on some social media or I went down a rabbit trail on Wikipedia, people wouldn't just be like, oh, interesting. They'd be like, what? Why were you in there so long? Are you sick? Um, but the, the point here is they lived in a culture where they were constantly together. If somebody was boasting, they were boasting to the people in their immediate life. When we think about boasting, we might think about boasting online or, or bo- like we don't, we don't have the right framework for the world in which they live because we live so differently. We live in, or live in such an individualized way that it is so hard to give like a skeleton to what we're talking about in Proverbs 27. Because in their life, the things that would shape you would be your neighbor would invite everyone over for a feast because something happened. Or, or you would go over to your neighbor's house to ask them for something or to engage with them. And, and they were a hospitality culture. When your neighbor came, you invited them in. And you would see how your neighbor treated you as a guest. And you would think, well, oh, that was pretty good. I'm going to do that when they come over. And, and they had a culture where they were interacting with each other. If you read about how Israel was set up, in like in like Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, um, your neighbors were your neighbors, and if they ever became not your neighbors, forty nine years from then, in the year of jubilee, they'd be your neighbors again. And of course, they never followed that. But the the idea of land in their day was not something that you just passed around and you didn't move around. You you lived and learned to interact with your neighbors, and you shaped each other, and you were just rooted together in a way that we are not. And, and so when you would boast, you'd be boasting to your neighbors about, well, my flocks are going to be great. And your neighbor's like, well, I can see what you're doing. I don't know about that. Your friends would be those who were closest to you. The, your peers were those that you interacted with that were 
in your immediate vicinity, in your community. And so the end of the proverb, it's a proverb all about friends. The end is that you should be focused on knowing the conditions of your flocks. And, and this might seem like a simple thing, but if you're boasting about the conditions of what your flocks will be, you're not boasting about the right thing. You shouldn't be boasting. Instead, you should know the condition of what you have in front of you. Your eyes should be satisfied with what you have in front of you, and you should give attention to what is in front of you. Um, what's, what's fun here, this final point is all about iron sharpening iron, because what you should be doing is you should be talking to the people around you, and you should be letting them shape you to say, hey, do you know the condition of what's in front of you, instead of thinking about the future? And in their day, this was a very simple thing. What's funny is it's no well the face of your flocks. The condition of your flocks, it's face of your flocks. Know well the things that are in your immediate care. It's like iron sharpens the face, or as we sharpen the face of each other, as the face of a person shows what's in their heart. Give your heart to your herds. This language, again, just passes all through Proverbs 27. For riches do not last forever, and does a crown endure to all generations. When the grass is gone and the new growth appears, and the vegetation of the mountains is gathered, the lambs will provide your clothing, and the goats the price of a field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household. And it says maintenance, but it's nourishment of your girls. It's food for everyone in your house, from the greatest to the quote-unquote least, based on things that we don't have time to talk about. But the, the point of this passage in their day, you didn't retire in their day. You didn't say, I'm going to be in Israel for the next 20 years, and I'm going to make enough money that I'm going to go move to the Mediterranean. I'm going to go out to Tarshish. I hear that's a good place. The, you, you spent your time there, and the people who you were around, you stayed with and interacted with. We do not live in a society like this at all. We do not get our ideas for how to do things in our life from each other a lot of the time. We get it from the internet. We get it from our interactions. We get it in a completely different way because we live in a world of algorithms and we live in a world where we can be isolated and feel connected but know we're lonely. That's, that's the world we live in and it's tricky. And I want to tell you, this verse to those people was about doing life together but for us today, we have to talk differently. They did not have phones. They did not have much entertainment in their day. And so in our day, we need to talk about the idea of diamond sharpens iron. And your phone, Instagram, the news, TikTok, YouTube, podcasts, social media, reality TV, the internet, all of these things are sharpening you. And it's one-way sharpening. And we need to talk about this because one of the things that I'm confident about um, as a pastor if you want to just trigger me and get me really angry, say, oh, I watched this show, it's bad, but it doesn't affect me. If it doesn't affect you, that means you're numb to it and it has shaped you so perfectly that you're a fool. If you watch something and it doesn't affect you, that is a sign of just abject wickedness. Um, when we watch things, they shape us. There's no way around it. We live in a world of branding and influence as well. One of the things that breaks my heart for our teenagers is that they are not equipped to deal with a world where, what do we call social media stars? Influencers. They're being, it's literally, you're just being influenced. You're being shaped by these things. 
And that's what our teenagers, they get online, and the world that they enter is this infuriating world where they're being shaped. And, and if I can just tell you, I, man, if you, like, I can just rant about this for hours. I'm, I'm going to be done soon, but I'm going to rant for another minute. One of the things I want to make sure to say is that if you talk to kids about the influencers that they follow, they say, oh, no, but he's real. He's authentic. Or she's real, she's authentic. Like, like they tell us, well, I don't have everything put together. I'm just like you. I'm a normal person. That's part of their influencing and branding. Like, they communicate things in order to show, look, I'm a real person, but they're communicating they're a real person while living in a way that is just not real. I recently heard a story about an eight-year-old that wants to be a YouTube personality and already has the plan and trajectory of their life put together. And I was just sad and I was like, I mean, I guess that's the world we live in. I would have never thought someone would say that, but I don't know. Why go to college when you can, and college isn't the most important thing, but why, why do anything when you can just sit at home, do social media, and make enough money to live? I don't know. Diamond sharpens iron. We need to be aware of this because we're being shaped by so many things. Our, the algorithms in our life, the things that we consume are shaping us and we do not even realize it. I have three principles that are negative, and then I'm going to have three challenges and principles that are positive. Um, diamond sharpens iron, which is a negative. Diamond is a 10 on the Mohs hardness, or mineral hardness scale. It's a 10. So when it hits iron, it just shapes it how it wants. Diamond sharpens iron when we are shaped by things we consume outside of community, and we are shaped by what we consume. You are shaped by what you consume. There's no way around that. We're even shaped by the fact that we can always consume. I can always listen to music. Um, if I was an ancient Israelite, if I wanted to listen to music, I would have had to sing to myself if I wasn't at special things. And if I had to sing to myself, I'd never listen to music because I know how I sound. Diamond sharpens iron when our interactions with others. This is an important one, everybody, and this is a hard one. Diamond sharpens iron when our interactions with others in our faith community are only focused on things about the faith community. And you may say, well, Matt, what do you mean by that? Well, when we gather together for churchy things and we talk about churchy things and our whole conversation is churchy, we're not really talking about our lives. We're not talking about iron sharpening iron and, and the moments in the margins when we're sitting together when we ask hard questions or when we see someone do something and say, hey, why'd you do that? If, if our whole interaction revolves just around our faith community and doesn't revolve around the way we live, the, uh, talking to Brett Filer this morning, the, the kingdom of God is not just this building, but it's what we do when we go out there. And so if every time we get together, we only focus on what happens in here, we're not really sharpening each other in tangible ways. Finally, diamond sharpens iron because our picture of friendship and love is only affirmation instead of affirmation, accountability, and application. If you know our discipleship pathway, um, we, we talk a lot about we need to affirm each other, we need to have accountability, and we need to have application. But those things are hard, and they take time. Um, you, you, can't give, you can't hold someone accountable and challenge someone in the way they're living unless you know them well enough to do that. It takes time to do this. It's not as simple as, hey, I noticed you're doing something wrong and I want to tell you about it. You need to know someone well enough to love them. If you're going to wound a friend, 
which is a good thing from what we just read in Proverbs 27. If you're going to wound a friend, in order to do that in a right way, you need to know them well enough and they need to know you well enough to where the conversation is going to be healthy. Because the thing you don't want to do is you don't want to wound a friend in a way that just erodes a relationship, but you don't want to not wound a friend in a way that erodes a relationship. We want to shape each other, and that's a good thing if we do it right. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens the face of a friend. Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who guards his master will be honored. As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. Death and destruction are never satisfied, and never satisfied are the eyes of man. Iron sharpening iron is about friendship and proximity that can only be achieved outside the programmed rhythms of life. Now, what I mean by programmed rhythms are if, if you do, if you come to church on Sunday morning and you go to a small group, and that's the extent of your interaction with other believers, you're missing out on living life together. Because when we do these things, it's postured. It's the, the design of what we do. Oftentimes, we present ourselves a certain way. We live in spaces where there are clear expectations, right? But, but what we need to do is we need to be around each other enough to where we can have hard conversations that just won't come up unless we have time and space together. Um, a couple weeks ago, um, I, like a month ago, we had, um, I, I worked for like 20 days straight because of no regrets and because Jess got sick and because just life kept piling up and all of my free days, like I normally take a Sabbath, but I couldn't take a Sabbath because Jess was sick, so I wound up doing more on those days and I took extra days off work to take care of the kids at home and all of a sudden I'd been running and sprinting for like 20 days. And Jess and I were talking about, well, uh, you know, it was a stressful season and Jess was like, so Matt, you need a day of rest. And I was like, I do. And I was like, the problem is our children live here. And if I'm home, I don't get to rest. And um, we have dear friends from our time at Moody, um, Julius and April. He's a professor I got to work with, and we're good friends. And on like a Wednesday, I texted them and said, hey, can I come down Friday? And Julius said, yeah, what are you coming down for? And I was like, I, can I come down Friday? Um, and Julius said, sure. Um, just a heads up. We're hosting people Saturday. We're going to be cooking all day. We're going to be doing prep. Um, and I'm working on a thing for a, a thing. Um, it's a long story. But the point is, I, I just drove down there on Saturday or Friday morning, and I just sat with them all day. I helped Julius calibrate an espresso machine and drank too much coffee, um, which is what happens every time I go there. And we sat talking about life. We kept talking about like marriage and parenting and all these different things. But it wasn't scheduled. It wasn't like we had an agenda. Julius showed me some projects he's working on for a thing he does. Um, he's a pastor at a church, and then he does some other side ministry things. And we just talked. And in, in kind of the margins of our conversation, there was something that Julius noticed I said like four or five times. And at a certain point, he said, Matt, why do you care so much about this? You, here's, you've mentioned it here. You've mentioned it here. You've mentioned it here. And Julius knows me well enough to know when he asked that, it would wound me. And I know Julius well enough to know when he wounds me, it's because he's like, Matt, I need to sharpen your face because there's something here that's just off. And after that, the whole rest of the day, it was like something like unclenched in me that I hadn't been thinking about. And the rest of our time was super fruitful. The time before that was fruitful too, but had I just called him and said, hey, Julius, I'm tired, he would have been like, okay, rest, 
read your Bible, do something. That It took that time together in order for me to be sharpened, in order for me to be shaped in a healthy way. And we need that. But notice I just used the word time. We need time to spend together. And in this world that we live in, in, in the suburbs and in the, the season, the rhythms of life where we are, time is the commodity no one wants to give because no one thinks they have it. But if we don't give that, iron will never sharpen iron. Iron sharpens iron when we observe each other in moments where posturing is impossible and outcomes are unplanned. I love taking students to Costco or out to eat. And one of my favorite things in the world, if I find out a student doesn't like ordering their own food, do you know what I don't do for them? (laughs) I don't order their food and I just look at them and make them order it because I'm like, they can figure this out. When we go on mission trips, we give the kids very small heads up. Hey, you're in charge today. Hey, you're going to lead the discussion. And then we process with them after. But, but the problem that we live in in our culture is everywhere we go, we want to control, we want to be comfortable, we want to present ourselves well. And we need to set up time and space in our lives where that's impossible. And, and the only way to set that up, again, it's time. And it's something we don't like giving up. Iron sharpens iron is happening deeply when we notice a friend changing an established pattern and ask them why. Um, One of the things I love about Jess um, is that Jess sometimes will say, Matt, you're doing this, but you used to do that. And she'll ask that, and then I'll kind of pause, and then I'll realize, oh, you're right. And then I'll have to think about why I made that change. And sometimes it's a decision I made. Sometimes it's like, I don't know, I just started doing that. But when we start to notice these patterns in others, we can have good conversations with them. I, I, I will tell you this one, of all three of these, takes the most time to do this on a non-superficial level. This isn't, hey, I noticed you're parting your hair to the other side. This is, hey, I noticed that you know, when we talk, you're, you're checking your phone every two minutes. You've never done that before. Is something going on? Or it's, hey, I, I notice, you know, when, it, like, it, I, I don't even know what examples to give you. I know what examples in my life make sense, but I don't know what they would be for you. But these things take time. They're not things that you're going to notice in normal rhythms because they're things that take time outside of our normal rhythms. And we're called to live in our faith in that way and live in our faith that way together. So there's a weird thing that happens in the logic of this sermon. The church can't facilitate this for you. Because if we facilitate it, it becomes a programmed rhythm. I hope you see that. Um, There's a logic here of if we just schedule another thing and you come to another thing we schedule, it doesn't work. Um, So my application can't be, hey, we're going to set up some times for people to meet together. Um, again, I hope you see why we can't. Um, the thing you need to start thinking about is how you're going to do this. And I have, I have a suggestion. Plan a play date with someone. If you don't know what a play date is, a play date is when two moms talk together in order to get their kids to become friends by spending time together. 
Um, I think those moms also sometimes, and if I'm wrong here, moms, sharpen my face after the service, but I think the moms sometimes think, I want to hang out with them. Let's force our kids to hang out. But the, the point here is we need to start planning and making space for this in our lives and talking to someone saying, hey, I need a play date. Come make a play date with me. And, and really what you're saying, and, and look, there's like a lot of people in here this morning, so there's probably someone in here you could say, could we plan a play date? And I know what you're thinking. They might reject me. I don't know what to tell you. Toddlers can be mean to each other too. But I would encourage you to start thinking, I can make time. If you're mature in your faith, if someone comes and asks you to spend time with you, I would encourage you, what a gift that you'll get to sharpen them. And let me tell you, they will sharpen you. you sharpening doesn't just happen one way when we do it the way we're supposed to. And the follow-up is to plan follow-up play dates. Start spending time with somebody outside the rhythms of normal life. Have somebody over for a dinner. There's a meeting at 12.30. It's 10.16, 16 right now. Um, talk to someone and say, hey, let's go out and we can get back here in time. Um, you know, you, what else are you going to do for the next two hours? I don't know. But the, the point is, is this is something that, that I, I can't manufacture for you, but you, the starting point is you need to start manufacturing it a little bit. You got to spend time with someone in order to make this work. This is not, when I started working for Julius, before, long before we were good enough friends to where we called each other and said, I just need to come visit for a day. Um, I told him, I want to work for you. Tell me what I can do. And then we had a relationship where for a while it was like, Matt, we're hosting people. Can you come help me cook some things? That's how I got good at grilling, by the way, um, was spending time with Julius. And he never told me how to do it. I just watched what he did and went, oh. And you know what? I taught Julius how to sous vide, which is the thing we do when we cook all that pork. I showed him that, and then he took that, but he showed me how to grill with fire in a way that was wonderful. But I say this because the things that you'll discover about each other aren't the things you plan but they're the things that happen in the margins and outside when we posture. We need this. We need to be sharpened not just in the times where we're in control and aware of expectations, but in the times where we're between moments. It's something we need so desperately. And it sounds silly to say it like this, but we live in a culture where across the board, this is not valued. What's valued is scrolling on a screen and having eyes that are never satisfied. So my challenge for you is take the time to find a friend who can help you live in such a way that your eyes are satisfied with what the Lord has put in front of you, where you can guard and tend the word of the Lord, where you can live wisely, because it's something we can't do alone, and it's something that takes a lot of work to do together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. Um, Jesus, I, I just it's impossible to start this prayer with anything, but we thank you that you made friends with 12 people. You spent time, you were with them, that they might know you, and you were so effective in your love for them that they spread that message out, and it passed on generation after generation. We, we thank you that we can be your friends today. We can be in a relationship with you because what you did passed on generation after generation. And Lord, I confess, it is hard to put time and energy into other people when it feels like I have so much on my plate. And I'm sure that's the same for so many of us. But I also know that when I do that, I don't actually do what I need to do. 
the, the moniker self-care is something that I think in our society we place such a high value on, but, but the self-care I need involves a relationship with others who will speak truth to me. I pray for those in here that they might leave today and say to someone, hey, let's go hang out. Let's go grab a bite. Let's go just sit and talk for a little while. And then they'd follow up and follow up and that we would see deepened relationships um, I, I pray that our small groups, I, I, our small groups are so strong, Lord, and I'm, I'm so happy about what our small groups do, but I pray that people in those small groups might look at someone else in the group and say, hey, let's put in a little extra time together. Um, let, let's just get to know each other a little better. I, I pray that you would bless these endeavors. I pray that you would work through them. I pray your spirit would be moving at our church. I pray we would be a space where people feel known and are sharpened and can live together in such a way where we hear each other, we listen to each other, and we grow well together. I thank you for the friends you have put in my life in this church and outside this church that I can just go to and have a retreat day. Um, And I, I pray for each of us that we would grow deeper in those relationships, that we would be sharpened, and that the way we are sharpened and the way we are shaped would be something that we would take out into the world, that we could have others come to know you and become friends with us and you and that they would know you better and better. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Will you guys stand with us for one last song?
Thank you so much for coming today. It was great to see you all. I hope you enjoy the weather. Have a good day.